you please take your Bibles and turn with me. We're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 16, as Neil has already read for us this morning. It's going to be our way of doing this, as the passages are going to be so long. We're going to be reading them during our scripture reading time, and then we're going to be unpacking them uh, during the sermon. And so, uh, again, we'll be starting this study in the life of David, and I'm going to show you, uh, again, that we want to see in how it applies to us. And what we should gleam, that we shouldn't just look, again, with rose-colored glasses of, of the people in the Old Testament or those who, um, who we think uh, figured it out because they didn't. They were people just like us, and they had to understand what it meant to come to that saving faith in Jesus Christ. So many of you know the story of Captain America. It's an unlikely candidate who entered into a special program to become a super soldier, His name is Steve Rogers, and he is the smallest, he is the weakest, and he is the slowest in the group of soldiers to be brought into this time. Colonel Phillips is the one who runs it, and he sees the outside of the man, and he begins to say, why'd you bring me this 90-pound asthmatic person? There are so many other people who are more qualified to become this super soldier. But Dr. Erskine goes and looks beyond the physical and he sees the inside of the man. And this is what he quotes. The serum amplifies everything that is inside. So good becomes great, but bad becomes worse. This is why you were chosen. Because the strong man who has known power all of his life may lose respect for that power. But a weak man knows the value of strength and he knows compassion. So again, just like Dr. Erskine saw in Steve Rogers, this inside of the person that mattered more than the outside, that's what we're going to see here this morning as God looks at the heart, not at the externals. And as he sees the heart, I want you to understand that this is, again, we need to kind of get the big picture. And so I want you to kind of put this in the perspective of Saul being a representation of Adam, being a representation of man, doing things his own way in his own time. And then to see the, um, the uh, King David as what he's supposed to be, a precursor of Jesus Christ himself. And so as we begin to see this, I want you uh, to grasp and understand as we go through this process. So let's go to the Lord in prayer that he might give us understanding this morning. Heavenly Father, again, we come to you and I ask that you give us eyes to see, Lord. It is truly a fine line between those that are saved and those that are unsaved. And so, Lord, let us look at our own hearts this morning. And Lord, to assess whether we care more about ourselves or care more about you. But Lord, we thank you for grace and mercy that is found in Jesus Christ and as to that and to whom we run this morning. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to see is kind of set the stage. And I want you to, to see this, that there is a grieving sin that's going on. It's why God asked the question, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him? Now, again, let me give you the the um, understanding here because what's happening here is you've seen uh, from the five books of Moses then you go to the book of Joshua and then you go to the book of Judges and so what has happened is God is controlling and judging his people through specific individuals and he now gets to the place where he has the priest Samuel come and he's judging the people 
And so what's going on is that the people have now uh, despised the law of God. They are no longer heeding the word and they are doing right in their own eyes is what it says at the end of Judges. They're doing right in their own eyes. Sound familiar? But not only are there things going on with the rebellious people and they are doing right in their own eyes, there's also problems in the priesthood. So you have Eli's sons who are going on and so there's things that they're doing. They're doing things wrong with a sacrifice. So they're supposed to go in and take boiled meat. But instead of taking boiled meat, they asked for the people to come and to cut off the good part of the meal. They wanted to go have steaks that were grilled. They didn't want to have boiled meat. They wanted to have grilled meat. And then there's also scandals that are going on. Sexual scandals with Eli's sons. And so the priesthood has scandals. Sound familiar? So there's scandals going on with the church. There's rebellious people. But then what they do is they also ask for a king. And this is something that, again, as, uh, as Samuel comes to the people, he's, he's hurt. He's burdened by it. And he's burdened by it because he's just like, don't you want to be ruled by God? That's where you need to be. And the people come in and they said, you no longer, we don't want God to rule over us. We want to be like everyone else. Sound familiar? We live in an age where, again, people are doing right in their own eyes. There are problems within the church and people are crying out because we want to be like everybody else. So how do you combat that? Well, what was going on was there was a couple of things. One, there was a cry for righteousness from some specific people. One specifically was Hannah. If you go back to 1 Samuel 2, you'll find Hannah's prayer. And this is where Hannah was so overwrought. She was barren. She wasn't able to have a a child. And she would go up to the temple and she would cry. And she's crying out so much that the priest thought uh, she was drunk. And said, go away. And she's just like, I'm not drunk. I'm, I'm so overwhelmed that I want a child, but I want a child that I can dedicate back to the Lord. He can be yours. You can use him as you want. I just want a child who is righteous, where God raises up people who are good and holy. And so she's given Samuel and she dedicates Samuel to the Lord. And he comes and he lives with Eli and the sons. He's actually called later on. But there's also where God gives a warning to the people in 1 Samuel 8. And again, I would ask that you would go and read these earlier chapters. It gives you great background to the setting of where we're looking at David's life now. But in 1 Samuel 8, it's where uh, one generation, again, uh, starts to to walk away. And we say, I know God did all these great things. I know he brought us out of Egypt. I know he's established us into the promised land. But here's the thing. I don't want God's rule anymore. I want to do things on my own. And so what happens is God says, you know what? Samuel, listen to their cries. Give them a king, but I want you to do this. I want you to give them a warning. And what he does is he gives them a warning in in 1 Samuel 8. And he says, this is how your king is going to be. He's going to take all your stuff. He's going to take your people. He's going to take your things. And he's going to rule harshly. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to get tired. And when you get tired, you're going to cry out to God. And when you cry out to God, it says this very specifically. God will not hear you. And so God says this to the people. And the people respond by saying, okay, God, we are wrong. They said, no, we don't care that that's going to happen. 
we want a king. And so God gives them Saul. But there's also the reality that um, God says, I'm going to choose a king. Because what's happening is we get to the place where Saul, in just one chapter earlier, has began to start editing God's word. What do I mean by that? Well, what happens is Saul has now gone and he's offered improper sacrifice. He was supposed to wait for Samuel. He gets tired of waiting, so he goes and offers sacrifices. And he comes and he gets chastised. But not only that, he goes out and he makes hasty vows. He goes and tells the people, hey, nobody can eat anything um, in regards to this warfare until I say so. And his own son is the one who goes out and takes a little bit of honey. And now his own son is supposed to be killed, but he saves him. But then he's told to go out and he's supposed to destroy everything of this uh, of Agog and his kingdom. But they save the king and they save the best of the best. And God says, I'm unhappy that I have chosen Saul. And so Samuel goes to the king and he starts asking the question. He says, um, he comes up to, to Saul and Saul's all happy. He says, hey, I've done everything that the Lord has commanded me to do. And Samuel says, well, that's funny because I'm hearing bleeding of lambs in my ears. And I thought you were supposed to kill everything. Well, you know, Samuel, I wanted to kill everything, but I was afraid of the people. The people wanted to take all the best of the best and they want to keep the king alive because they wanted to make sacrifices to God. I mean, that's a good thing, right? So, yeah, I might have not done whatever everything God said. And he actually gets to the point where he says, yeah, I probably sinned, but I was afraid of the people. But then he says, Samuel to Saul, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be ripped away from the kingdom. God has chosen another. And you know Saul's response to this? Man, I blew it, man. I sinned, but hey, Samuel, can you listen to this? Can you yet honor me in front of the elders? Slowly and surely, Saul continues to edit the word of God for his own means. Sound familiar? We live in a day and age where people pick and choose what they want to hear in the scripture. They want their ears tickled. And yet the truth of the gospel is all true. And so he rejects Saul and he says to Samuel, I have chosen another. Now, why is Samuel upset and it's not bad that he's having grief over king saul because king saul he's a sinner it's okay i mean do you watch the news do you listen to talk radio sometimes it's a good world out there everything's great we live in the best of times and everything's hunky-dory no all you have to do is turn on the tv listen to things that are going on And it's okay, listen, to have grief over the sin in the world. So why does God rebuke Samuel? Does he say it's wrong to have grief over the sin of Saul? No, it's when we get to despair. When we turn on the TV and we begin to say things like, the world's going to hell in a handbasket and there's nothing we can do. When we quit, God rebukes us and he calls us back to be a part of the process of redeeming the time. We are the answer. We are the answer. And so he looks at Samuel and he says, quit whining. 
I have chosen someone who's going to be my representative and I now send you to him. Now I want you to understand this is fearful for Samuel. There is a sitting king. Saul is still on the throne. And now God's saying, hey, take this oil and go and anoint someone else who's going to be king over Israel Why Saul still reigns. And Samuel says, I'm not going to do that. Saul's going to kill me. Now, again, if you are God and you tell someone to go do something and they start to backtalk you, how are you going to treat them? For me, you're done. Next. Who's next in line? I told you to go. I promised I would be with you. Why didn't you go? I'm afraid. Why? I'm God. You're not. Trust me. But listen, God helps in our weakness. Because he doesn't do that to Samuel. He says, you know what, Samuel? You as the priest are allowed to go out and by, by his um, uh, job, he was supposed to go around and bring judgment upon each town. That's why the townspeople are crazy when he gets there. Because in the chapter right before this, he goes and he hacks Agag to pieces. So when he comes to judge you as a city... It's not a good thing when he comes most times. But he says, hey, you're supposed to go out and judge the cities anyway, so here's what I'm going to do. Take a heifer with you. And then it's not going to look abnormal for you to go and give a sacrifice to the Lord. Go to Bethlehem, and I'm going to protect you. And so God even protects us even in our weaknesses. He doesn't treat us the way that we deserve. He treats us with mercy and grace. So that's the scenario that we find ourselves in. A lot of bad things going on. And God says, I've chosen a king. Now go to Bethlehem and find him. And so what happens is he comes and God makes a very clear distinction in regards to how man looks and how God looks. And the first thing he says, he says, man sees and he looks on the outward appearance. It's externals. Man looks at worldly success. We look at People who have power, means, influence, intelligence. That's what we look for. We want worldly praise. We want people to acknowledge us. We want people to look at us. But again, it's like a magician a lot of times. What do I mean? It's an illusion. It's where we begin to focus on minors when we miss the major things that are going on. It's the, it's a slip of the hand. So again, what happens if you continue to look at people just simply on the outward, then they can fool you. Cause they can have power and means, influence and intelligence and be some of the most wicked people in all of life. Again, when I was at the football game, I got to meet, uh, two ladies. Uh, who were sitting down next to me, and, and one of them was uh, the grandmother, and uh, she began to, to talk to me, which I love to have happen. I loved when people come, sit next to me at a football game, and talk to me while the football game's going. But the score was 77 to nothing, so it was okay. I had time to, to listen to this lady, and, and I don't know if she's a Christian or not, but she made a very profound statement. And she said, you know what? I cannot believe how evil people are. And she said it in regards to, because she was telling me her whole story, and I got to hear from how they moved from Rhode Island, and how they had a a business, and her dad would always say uh, specific things. And she said, "I, I never knew how evil people were until my dad's business. And again, I'm not even sure she was a Christian. I don't know. Maybe she was. But she had a profound insight because she recognized that most people 
are simply magicians. They're illusionists. I've got it all together. That's why we lie to each other. How are you doing? I'm fine. That's the biggest lie. Not one person in this room is fine. But we lie. It's that great illusion. But the reality is, is that she found what the scripture said. The heart is wicked. Listen to Jeremiah 17, verse 9 and 10. The heart is deceitfully is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? But then listen to what it says. But I, the Lord, search the heart, and I test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. See, we might be able to fool each other, but we can't fool God. He knows our hearts. He begins to focus on the things and what needs to happen is in the eternally that's going on. We need to be people of character and integrity. There's an illustration of a, and you can go, you can look it up. Sometimes it deals with an emperor. Sometimes it deals with a CEO. Obviously, I think it's a made up story, but it has a good point. And so it goes, and I'll use the emperor one. The emperor was going to find, uh, he knows that he's dying, and so he wants to find someone to replace him. And so he brings in a group of people, and he says, out of this group, I'm going to bring the next emperor. And what he does, he gives each person a seed. And he says, for this next year, you're going to take the seed home, and you're going to plant it, you're going to water it, you're going to fertilize it, and you're going to grow, and in a year, you're going to come back and you present your plants to me, and then I, at that point, will choose who will be the next emperor. And so they all go back home, they all start to do it, and about three weeks into it, one of the people figure out that his plant's not growing at all. There's nothing. But he's been watering, he's been fertilizing, he's gotten enough sunlight, he's done everything that he's supposed to, and there's nothing. And he starts hearing all these things about how everybody else's plants are growing so huge, and they're getting beautiful. Then the year comes back, and they go back in front of the emperor, and they all have their plants there, and this one little child comes to, starts to try to go towards the back he doesn't want to be recognized and he begins the emperor sees all the plants he starts talking to people and then he looks at the little child and he says you come up front and so the little child goes up front and he goes tell me about your plant he's like i'm sorry i i did everything i did everything you asked me to do and there was nothing that came from it but this is you, i did what you asked me to do and this is what i bring back and the emperor looks at everybody else and he says this is your new emperor because the reality was, he says, a year ago, I gave you guys boiled seeds, which meant nothing can grow from any one of your seeds. So all the rest of you at some point figured out your seed was not growing, and you went and you found another seed and grew your own thing. This was the only one who had integrity, and he's the one who's going to be the emperor. Great story. God's looking for men and women of great character and integrity. Who are you at the core See, sometimes, it, and I want you to understand, this, there's a fine line between someone who's a Christian and someone who's a non-Christian. I mean, both Saul and David, they're both sinners. I mean, David did some serious sins. We, don't deny that. So why was Saul rejected and David forgiven? Repentance. When confronted with the truth, when confronted with Christ, when confronted with the sin, David repents. It's the same thing between uh, Peter and Judas. Judas, a sinner. Peter, a sinner. He denies Christ three times. One night. So what's the difference? Judas was sad. He was sorry for his sin. Goes out and hangs himself. Goes to hell. Peter, confronted with his sin, repents, comes back to God. That's the difference. It's not that you're more righteous than another person, except for Jesus Christ. 
It's his love. It's his mercy. It's his grace. And we get to opportunity to repent. And when we're confronted, we should enjoy his rebuke. Because he means he loves us as a son. And so what he was doing, he was creating David to be a person of integrity. He was raised in a godly family in the midst where people were doing things right in their own eyes. Is it hard, kids, to live as a Christian in your schools? You bet. Hard to not cheat when everybody else is telling you to cheat? Hard to not cuss when everybody else is cussing around you? Hard not to fit in on date relationships or anything like that? You bet it's hard. You think it's any easier for your parents at work? No. They lie a little bit better about it. They cover it up a little bit better. But it's the reality of are we going to be people of integrity and character? Because God looks at the heart. And so what he does, he says, not only do you have to have a heart and a character, but are we going to obey? Listen, this is what um, Samuel says. It's better to obey than it is to sacrifice. That's what it means to love God. Obey what he teaches us. Obey his word. And when we obey his word, that's when he knows that we love him. It's not just in sacrifice. Sometimes that's the easiest thing. If I ask you guys to give, you're one of the most giving churches I know. Hey, write a check for this. Take care of this. Without a doubt, you guys write checks. You guys take care of things. Hey, now go work in the nursery. Uh, uh, I want to do that. Let someone else do that. Let the mothers of the babies do that. Let the younger people do that. Nah, I get it. It's not easy. But are we going to obey? Will we be obedient to his call to go and say that it's better to, to obey than it is to give a sacrifice? Do we want to be available? Do we want to be used? I know it's hard. I know we're going through growing pains. People say making lots of changes we, we are some people are too cold some people are too hot in the room we're trying to figure it out some people is high um high sound other people they can't hear enough we're trying to fix that got a bad pastor trying to fix that <laughs> it's growing pains but the reality is, is our heart should be god god anything when joe novison said this I, I mean it really shocked me but it was like he said, even if, even if there are people standing out in, in, our, in our grass and over here and they were spitting on us and cursing at us and yelling at us, would that be enough to keep us away? Are we coming in here to worship a God of one? We have to be people of character and integrity. And where, where's our heart? Is our heart to please and obey and be available to Christ? Or is it about us and our own agenda? And I'm not saying don't offer constructive criticism. Please do. We need to hear things. We can become blinded. We'll try to fix what we can fix. But more than anything, where's our heart? And so God says, I, man looks at the externals. I look at the internal. And then he anoints David. And I want you to understand that there's something that's very special going on here. Because the anointing is setting apart now, I want you to also understand another thing here. David's not even invited to the feast. Do you get that? He's not even invited. He's not even thought of high enough. Maybe because he is the youngest. Or maybe his father Jesse said, he wouldn't be the one. Go be with his sheep while the rest of us come and worship. And yet God says to Samuel, I don't want any of these other sons. And it, it, it had to be awkward, didn't it? All the sons passed by and Samuel goes, nope, nope, 
Uh-uh. Next. Nada. Nope. Eh. Nobody else. Jesse, do you have anyone else that you're hiding somewhere? Yeah, I've got the youngest. He's out with the sheep. Well, we ain't eating until he gets here. God chooses the unlikely and the uninvited to be the one that he sets apart. And he sets them apart, listen, for a holy purpose. In the Old Testament, the ones that were set apart were the prophet, priests, and kings. It's the titles that Jesus takes for himself. Jesus is the prophet, the priest, and the king. And as he set apart, what happens is as they are anointed, it calls them to a servant leadership. And I want you to understand that God calls it unlikely. Listen, it was a forgotten son, just like it's the forsaken son of Jesus Christ. He becomes forsaken on our behalf to save us. And when that happens, he comes to give his life for others. You know what Davis does? He goes back out to the sheep. He gets anointed. Now, he doesn't become king at this point. That happens at a later date. But he is anointed to be the future king. And he goes back out to the sheep. He's just being faithful. He's waiting on God's timing. But it said something very unique at that point. After he was anointed, it said that the Spirit of the Lord comes in power upon David. So it rushes upon him and it gives him the power to face the world. Just like the Holy Spirit descended upon Christ when he was being baptized. And so as soon as the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and he only comes one time, sorry if you're Pentecostal, he doesn't come a second time, just so you can speak in tongues. It's a one baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that one baptism of the Holy Spirit brings power. And what happens is everything becomes great. Do you understand that when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, that's when trouble begins. What's the first thing that happens to Jesus after he has the Holy Spirit? He's driven out to the desert for 40 days to be tempted by Satan. Well, that sounds like fun. What's the very next thing for David that we see in the scripture that's recorded? He has to fight a giant. He has a king that seeks his life. He's going to grow up and have kids that want to kill him. But yet God puts the spirit upon him to deal with all the temptations that we're going to see and that we're going to encounter. And we trust him. Why? Because we have the spirit and we have the word of God. And you have to have the right balance. Because if you're word light, if you're not spending time in the word, you don't know what's required of you. If you're only in the Spirit all the time, if you're only slaying people in the Spirit all the time, if you're only speaking in tongues all the time, then you're word light. But we're on the opposite scale usually as Presbyterians. We're word heavy, Spirit light. Spirit, what's that? I know God the Father, God the Son, and there's a third one. What's his name? It's the Holy Spirit. And he leads, and he directs, and he guides, and he illuminates, and he draws us back. So we have to have both. And when we're in right balance, when we're in the word and we're also living by the spirit, what does it say? The gates of hell cannot prevail against someone who is sold out to Jesus Christ. The gates of hell cannot prevail. And I, I want to I wanna hit the pulpit and I know some of you guys will get angry. There is such a fine line between the saved and the unsaved. And I do, I get, I get ticked off sometimes. 
when people play church and play religion. And I get ticked off because I did it for so long. One way at church and another way at school. I didn't want to go to hell, but I also wanted to go get drunk at the party. I wanted to be accepted by my friends. I wanted to not be made fun of. But I didn't want to go to hell. So I acted one way on Sunday in a completely different way on Monday. But there comes a point in time where God looks at us and says, you have to choose. Either you're all in or you're all out. And I'm looking at some of you teenagers and it scares me where some of you are because you're content with playing a game. And Jesus is just an option. But what scares me more is that sometimes you might have learned that from your parents. I'm begging God not to just fill this room, to fill this room with warriors for the cross. Men and women of integrity and character who don't care about the externals, but care about a heart that's lived for Jesus Christ. And I don't care about your past. If God can use me, a jerk from Cocoa Beach who lived his life for himself, And changed him by the gospel. He can use anybody. Here's our challenge. What does God see when he looks at your heart? What does he see? You're the only one who knows. And others might see a nobody in you. Listen to what God sees. God can see the king. Everyone can be used. Everyone can be used to build the kingdom. The question is, are you ready? And are you available? And if you're ready and available... Then confess your sins. Receive forgiveness. Receive it. Don't pretend. Believe the truth that he throws your sin as far as the east is from the west. And listen, he does something we don't do. He doesn't remember it. He remembers it no more. And then listen, especially young people who want to be used by God and you don't think you're being used the way you want to, wait. Wait on God's timing. He anointed David but David waits a long time and goes through a lot of trials before he becomes the king. Confess, repent, come back. But no, you could be used by God. I truly believe this, to change the world. Change the world. All he needs, a person with character and integrity, a heart sold out for Christ. He'll use you. Believe it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this would be a significant Sunday in the life of this church. I pray that people, whether they be children or adults, if we look at our hearts and we see we're playing a game where we're focusing on the externals and not the internals, Lord, may we truly repent of our sin, run back to Christ, run back to the Word of God, run back to the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, Father, we know that you are faithful to your word and you forgive us our sins. Lord, what an incredible gift. And then, Father, not only that, but you use us in spite of ourselves. Lord, you take a worthless kid from Cocoa Beach, from a divorced family who lived more for himself, and yet you give the gospel. You transform my mind and my heart to where I hope my prayer is, Whatever you want, it's yours. Or I pray that we would be a church that accepts the hurting and the struggling, the sinner, with no expectation of them fixing themselves, 
except they be fixed in Christ. Lord, thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank goodness they're new every day so that we can run to you, die to ourselves, and live for Christ. Lord, truly, truly change us. This we pray in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.